0: What's up world?
1: Uh, I just, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you know, I I don't know.
0: They they they
1: insert here. Yo. It's a terrible game. Bottom line, it's terrible in every way. Graphically it's terrible. Gameplay is terrible. It's just terrible. Uh, angry nick mad that game sucked and it's gonna suck no matter how many revisions they make and it just sucked even more because they put a connect with it uh,
0: uh, angry nick mad
2: or if there's violence i'll just laugh and
0: enjoy the fun kaz hazari Haza harari kaz harai. harai they just kind of got tired of angry nick on the first one and said, i'm gonna pass
3: Chris. oh yeah so i, I do it's precisely no no, no. i do I per- I no. all my work no. No. You guys are so cute. Oh, thank you. I try.
4: I mean, let's face it, Mario, and to a lesser extent Zelda, is what carries Nintendo at this point.
0: Always be radical. I love you, little podcast. You're the bestest thing ever. For the promise of the new Super Smash Brothers and the Zelda game, yes.
1: Will not find a better story presented in any other game genre, in my personal opinion. Like, JRPG
4: have that. They have that
1: story.
5: That's what the entire game felt like. Oh my god! I want to bang my head into a wall. Can someone remind me? I thought it was a video game podcast. You're listening to the Game Source Podcast. Hey, this is Aaron OSU Water Polo here with yourgamesource.com, and today we are going to talk to the developers behind Town of Salem, Blank Media Games. We have josh blake and brandon here we are at the prototype party for the card game that they just closed the kickstarter on a few months ago uh first off thank you guys for having this event it was an absolute blast um, what were y'all's
3: impressions of the event here i'm really really happy with how it turned out all the the everyone in the community you know there's a, there's a lot of characters you know cracking jokes and, and role playing when they you know got put on trial and a lot of times, the whole room was, was laughing. You know, I think people really had fun with it and let loose and made new friends, and it was it was really a blast. Yeah, the, the major
2: highlight was definitely the people that came out. You know, and everybody got along really well, went really smoothly. We didn't have any real, real big problems or anything like that at the hotel. So I think the event went, went really well, and I, I hope to do something like this again in the future. Hopefully,
6: and yeah, pretty pretty sick to do another event like so Maybe we can get like a hundred <laughs> oh, <gosh. laughs> <laughs> yeah, person game.
3: Yeah, that fifty one person game. Moderated for like three hours straight. Had no voice afterwards. So. Yeah, <laughs> that
5: just that that game was so much fun. I, I, I feel bad for both of the kids that were there. Yeah, they got got sick. They were the right first the two people killed.
3: Yeah, it's all right. They uh, they were good sports about it though. I saw them afterwards. You know they were playing more. Oh yeah. Than other people so yeah yeah.
5: The Executioner got a little trigger happy. Yeah, he did.
3: Yeah, yeah. he did. <laughs> but
5: without being immune, you can't just sit back and wait. Yeah. So he, he gambled and lost. It is Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I guess for people like me who have only started the game in the last couple of months and missed out on the Kickstarter, what is the, the history of the game? Um, oh. Because a lot of people think, you know, it's a, a new game because you just released on Steam. And it's actually a couple of
3: years old. Right, yeah, I mean, uh, probably the best way to summarize our history is just about about as indie as it comes. Uh, you know, I mean, it was just me and Blake working on it for, for quite a while. Um, like After the success of our very first Kickstarter, uh, it was just Blake and myself for eight months after that, working on it, uh, then we had our second Kickstarter, and then we hit Steam, and after that is when we actually started to like really become a real company and not just two indie developers. Uh, we're able to actually hire on a couple more programmers and Brandon, our community manager here, and QA and things like that, and start to form a real company. But uh, yeah, it was it was for a long time. It was just two guys, you know, working on it day in, day out, taking it as far as they could. Yep.
5: Yeah. And one thing about your game is it's not as toxic for for a PvP game. It's not as toxic as many others, um, and your forums are fairly clean for for a gaming company which is really impressive um you know every game is always going to have a couple of toxic people right, right. and and you guys have the trial system uh how do you guys feel that has been working out
3: pretty well uh it, it, actually the system came about from one of our uh moderators that from the very beginning um he was like i think he's like our fourth account ever made on the game he was there from the very beginning uh, he just volunteered to help moderate and then uh, after a while you know about a year in uh, he, he's a programmer as well so he had this idea for the trial system and he really just kind of took, took that on himself a lot. We just gave him a little bit of database support and server backend support and he did the whole the web interface and everything and, and he's been managing it and Brandon is actually uh, gets on there a lot doing a lot of the the banning and sorting through everything, but I think it, I think it helps go through reports a lot. Brandon could probably comment on that. Right, bringing
6: down the hammer, man. <laughs>
3: it feels good to get get
6: rid of some of the, like the, the pretty terrible people, but most of the time, like it's it's really not all that bad. Like it's like what they did wasn't that bad. Like let them off for warning or like give them like a normal like one day suspension or something. But trial system has been helping a lot. Like the games are noticeably less toxic having like the chat filter too adds like some some pretty good like fun value like
3: whatever yeah. people like. Like ah oh, flummery. Yeah, you know, I, I think yeah. the the chat filter was one of those things that we put in just to you know try to keep the game from being toxic, and it turned into its own little like mini game for people. It's it's turned. Oh into, yeah, like, I, I, there's people get like that get
5: named flummery this.
3: Yeah, yeah. So I think that feature I think was pretty successful because I think people have fun with it actually. You yeah. take you take something negative and turn it into something positive, which is great. Yeah. So this was about the card event,
5: uh, and you guys are. Game programmers, how was it to transition from a digital format to a physical format in the game?
3: Uh, as far as design, not too bad because we're all just we're all gamers, you know, yeah. on all aspects. Like we play Magic, and like Blake, really, Blake is the biggest card game nerd of all of us for yeah, sure. Yeah, for
2: sure. You know, it, it's interesting because there's a lot of precedent out there for you know kind of mystery card games and board games and things like that. So there's a lot of research you can delve into to see what is everybody else doing, what works, what doesn't work for for their format, how can we use those as inspirations for what we're doing, you know, and then also taking from our digital game and using that as an inspiration for the card game, and also just learning, like having a physical product whenever you did not have one before is a huge learning curve it took us a long time and talking to a lot of people before we figured out all the, the hoops that we had to jump through to make sure that all that worked out, you know, talking to manufacturers and shipping companies and insurance companies and, you know, uh, fulfillment centers and, you know, I had never talked to Amazon as, like, a selling partner before, for example, which is a whole uh, bag of worms whenever you open it up. Uh, so it, it was definitely a big learning curve but now that we know it I don't see any reason why we couldn't do some other sort of products
5: in the future and I mean the event here you know we had that big 51 player game and then at other times there were four more games running and everybody is already making up their own custom rules um, things to help the moderators out and some of that uh, how much time did you guys spend refining the basic rule set because a lot of roles play very differently than in the game. Uh, for example, the, the medium is almost a reverse lookout now, yeah. or an after the fact lookout. Uh, yeah, I mean, right. I
2: think we were testing and tweaking for about three months. Yeah. You know, between games of five people all the way up to games of 15 people. You know, that was kind of the range of where we did most of our testing at. Uh, we wanted to make sure that with the minimum number of people like you can still have a really good time and still well balanced you know saying? with like having a decent sized party of people you know that everything's still going to work out and, and be very
3: balanced yeah it, it gave us a lot of room to experiment too like obviously there are things you change because just being physical and di- in, in online or just very different uh, It's
5: Very hard for the spy to listen to whispers right, when right. everybody and, and is talking. Do you, talking. Someone, do
3: you like, <laughs> like, like take them to a separate room and, like, blindfold them? I mean, like, so, you know... And then like, you're going to hear who's getting out. Right, yeah. so, like, some of that stuff just absolutely had to be changed. But even other things that, uh, like, for example, we, like, removed night immunity for a lot of roles... Um, and it's just which surprised um, quite a few people right, yeah, like, I mean, like, like wait the wait, werewolf wait, like, died and she's like yeah. wait what Yeah, they're like what I'm not you I'm anymore and so it's it's given us a lot of room to experiment and yeah. see what works and what doesn't and, and even it's given us ideas on things we might pull back into the digital game as well too as we see it you know playing out through the card game
5: yeah yeah there were what three new roles that
6: aren't in the game I think oh uh, yeah politicians Michael town peaceful
3: Towny in, to, town in general or townie in general right yeah yeah a yeah. role that does literally right. nothing but vote yeah town of salem is actually you know it, it's like like the townie is basically the citizen-esque role yeah the, the, the flavor townie which actually town of salem doesn't have we when we made town of salem we specifically made it without that because we wanted people to have you know powerful something abilities. to do right you didn't want people to just kind of sit in their board uh, so we like like made the decision that we're going to cut that role out of the online game but then when it came back to the card game it's like all right, like you have to have it in the card game because you just you you need some repeatable cards space and you need repeatable cards so it's like okay well now we're we're bringing it back something that we specifically took out of our online game we're bringing back into the card game now you know it's been interesting it was definitely an informed decision based on testing
2: so yeah. I don't think we started out with the county. Yeah, yeah we did
3: We actually didn't want it because we wanted to stick to our flavor of like we don't have flavor townies. But uh, then when you start to play it, you realize, yeah. If you everybody really can do them. something, it's gonna end yeah, too fast. Exactly. You need people
5: who can't do anything. Right.
6: Well, and it's, it's just and like if they're all, for yeah. they're all unique roles, <laughs> like we we got to a point where it was just like we were like, okay, so day one I can just say like I'm this role. If you don't claim a certain role, like. Any, anybody who claims, like, if you role, we just hang one of them and then hang the other one if it was wrong. Right. Yeah, and so, so day
5: one, hit. your game is over. Yeah. You either lynch the right person or you lynch the wrong person. Right. And the game snowballs from there. Yeah. Which is very, very different from the online game. So, yeah. I mean, I, I think everybody had fun. Even the kids who got killed the first the first night and then lynched. Yeah. Uh, you know, they both came back and were having a ton of fun. There, there were people who had never played... The online game, and they were having fun playing the game. So right. I yeah, mean, that's yeah. like a, that's like just Paris. how good the game exactly. is. Right. It was
3: it was great to see people of all ages and all genders having fun. You know, people, guys that brought their their young kids out were getting into it and having fun too. And you know, it's obviously we had a pretty successful Kickstarter, but it was great seeing the actual proof of people actually having fun. And, and we know that you know when we ship these out uh that you know people are going to be satisfied with their product and, and they're going to have a good time so it was really great to see yeah so
5: i don't want to go too much into the future because the future isn't set but <laughs> what is the hardest role that you guys have had to change multiple times for you guys that you're, you you just don't like the role
3: that's in the game uh, the the disguiser is definitely one that's that's on the chopping block. It just it it makes reporting difficult uh, because you know people get someone else's name and, and it's kind of confusing as to like who they were. Um, and then as well as people figured out the meta game of just putting their name in their last will, which you know kind of really ruins the disguiser. and there are things we could do, like, we could make the Disguiser, like, if you kill someone that it doesn't display the last will, like, that would solve that metagaming problem, but you still have the problem of possible, like, reports and things like that. So yeah. it's really just, like, a problematic role in general. Yeah. So it we're really feels
6: looking... really bad if, like, someone takes your name and then starts, like, saying all these terrible things. Like, it right. makes you feel bad. So that's,
3: that's Because the, the next game you use that name yeah, and somebody's like... still
5: going at you and is like, no, I got disguised. Right. Yeah,
3: exactly. So that's one of the ones we're definitely heavily looking at. We, we think that definitely needs some change to it. Uh, you know other than that, probably the, the hardest role we ever implemented, I think was the vampire. Uh, you know con- converting all of these different roles uh, was was problematic and then making the vampire hunter interaction with it as well also problem so like that was definitely the hardest combo I think we, we introduced into the game. Yeah. Uh, as far as programming and design wise and things yep. like that. Tons of testing
6: time, making right. sure like certain interactions worked properly. Like if the jailer got bit he couldn't like jail people as a vampire now or right. like vampire or like the mayor had to not have his votes whenever uh yeah. if he was bitten after he was revealed and did yeah. a lot of stuff.
5: So, what are some of your, as a player, not a developer,
3: what are your favorite roles in the game? I like the dealer for sure. I like, I like the power role. Get to be the investigator, the executioner, uh, and the protector all in one. You know.
2: Yeah. Uh, me and him definitely are our favorite roles is the jester. Um, I think that's the best role for you to be able to employ a variety of different strategies to varying events. Yeah. You know? because there's literally no wrong strategy with the dresser, which makes it a very interesting role because you have to experiment a lot out what works and what doesn't
5: yeah it, it's I think it's one of the more fun roles to learn the game as because you don't have the pressure of a team you're not you know like a serial killer who's out killing and having to make educated guesses and, and things of that nature I, I think like my first seven games were Survivor <laughs> And I died night one on the first four, and I almost quit the game. But I, after that, I got Jester, I think, three of my next ten games. And that's really where I got to sit back and learn the game, because you get to see how everybody's going. So, so I could definitely see how you like the, the, the Jester. It's a lot uh, less stressful. I, I, I am one of the weird people that actually likes Transporter, because you can be the superhero... Or you can be totally chaotic if, right. if you don't know what you're doing. Right. So it's I, I
6: like that role. A lot of the town roles are, are double-edged swords. Like yeah, yeah. The vigilantes can like kill the wrong people. Jailers can kill the wrong people. Yeah, vigilante, you
5: screw people. up, boom, two two townies yeah. dead. Yeah, it's,
6: it's like I can be up one or down two. Yeah, yeah.
5: It, so it, it's definitely a gamble. I, I, I think most of the roles besides disguiser, and I totally agree with that, are a, a lot of fun to play. Um, I, I, Disguiser clearly isn't going to work for the card game. Right. yeah. <laughs> All of a sudden, hey, that person <laughs> just moved across the room. What the heck? <laughs> do, do you guys have anything you, you want to say? You know? Uh,
3: probably just, uh, you know, keep an eye out. We're we're still going hard. We're working on new features for the game. We're working on getting our mobile product out there. That Witch's uh, Faction. We're can't we're wait. Working on the Witch Faction expansion. Yeah, exactly. So... Yeah. You know, hopefully by the uh, towards the end of this year, you know, we're going to be getting a lot of these new things out and you'll we'll see a much more polished game, you know, we're, we're really looking forward to the, the UI rework because a lot of that art is has been, in, the UI art has been in there for, you know, since we first started and we just haven't had a chance to go back and update some of that stuff because we've just been working on so many other things so we're excited to really take a, another pass through it and polish everything up to the level that we feel like we've, we've come to now instead of being that super alpha game, you know, that it was two years ago. Yeah. Uh, So
5: the Kickstarter backers are likely getting their card game uh, September, next month. Uh, November. November. Yes. Oops, sorry. (laughs) Um, And then you guys are now selling the game through your website, and those look like December?
3: Yeah, yeah, we wanted to make sure that we... uh fulfill all of our Kickstarter backers before we start fulfilling pre-orders. So, yeah, we're looking at December for pre-orders, and, and you know, so after November we get everybody's out, uh, all our Kickstarter backers out, then we'll start working on fulfilling pre-orders.
2: Yeah, so hopefully early December we can do the pre-orders, and then hopefully by the time Christmas rolls around, we'll actually be in, you know, the Amazon store and, and things like that, yeah. and be ready for that season
5: so if somebody missed the kickstarter what is the web address to where they can go purchase the game now
3: i can go to blankminigames.com and then uh, there's a store link right on there and it'll take them to pre-orders
5: and you actually have two versions of the game the the normal family friendly version for a murder game that kind of feels weird to say <laughs> and also a not
3: safe for work version right which uh, has, has we found been the more popular choice between uh, <laughs> for, for people yeah, and the, yeah, the Nazi Pork version. Uh, we told our artist Billy to just really go crazy with, with humor and what he wanted to do, and uh, yeah, he came up with some really hilarious stuff. That uh, yeah, you know, definitely gonna want to have the kids out of the room. I think when when you open that up, but uh, it's it'll give everybody a good laugh. I think.
5: Yeah, yeah, even just the the box art that is shown on the store page, you see quite a few of the differences, the which right. being the obvious, almost front and center. Difference. Right. Um, right. The, and, and the it. box art is toned down a
3: little bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was a little, it was a little worse. And we're like, you know what? Like, if we're gonna ever have that in stores, we probably need to make the box art a little less <laughs> crazy. <laughs> yeah.
5: <laughs> yeah. If you want to make it into a physical store, you can only do so much yeah. on that box. Yeah. Um, well, uh, thank you again for your time, Josh, Blake, and uh, Brandon with Blank Media Games. This is Aaron OSU waterpolo here with yourgamesource.com.
0: This is Gerald with Source, letting you know what are the big video games coming out this week. Get your mech all geared up for battle in the sci-fi game Beyond Flesh and Blood, coming to the PS4 and Xbox One. Just Sing from Ubisoft will have you singing the high note when it comes to PlayStation 4 and the Xbox One. And get ready, because it's time to have Awesome Nuts Assemble! when this updated release hits the Xbox One and PlayStation 4. For more, check us out, yourgamesource.com, and Gamesource on Facebook and Twitter for all your latest gaming news. Okay, and we're back with Pop Culture Cosmos. This is Gerald Glassford once again with my good friend, Josh Peterson, the author of Vendetta Dark, and the, well, and the upcoming, congratulations. You suck! Yeah, you know, that's just a killer name. I just love saying that. But anyways, I uh, also want to make sure that we thank our good friends at Retro City Games, uh, Douglas and Nicole, who will soon be housing our, our show on a regular, regular basis at Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, one of the best game stores in the Las Vegas area. I think you should check them out. Rob McCallum and Rob McCallum Films. Uh, makers of the hit documentary Nintendo quest and the Nintendo quest power tour, which you can find out more info today at Rob McCallum on how to buy a DVD buy a blu-ray or buy it today on digital uh, also find out more information on his award-winning documentary missing mom and Also as well find out more information on his upcoming hit documentaries the power of Grayskull he-man and the masters of the universe A Definitive History, and Box Art the Documentary, which Rob, Doug, and Nicole have an update for us right now. Take it away, Rob.
7: Rob McCallum here for Box Art, joined alongside Doug and Nicole from Retro City Games, of course, producing Box Art with me. We've been on the road now for, what is it, five days, guys? Six? Six days. Almost six days here. And, uh, we... Well, how's the trip gone so far? How would you describe (laughs) that first day? Awesome. And in what capacity was that awesome? Every. And what does that mean? Maybe let our listeners know what you mean by every awesome capacity.
4: First day, 20 straight hours of driving. That was great.
7: And how many were you awake for? Uh, two? Two. Four? Are
4: we talking consecutive hours? It's a very nice, very long nap. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh.
7: Doug, how would you describe that 19-hour drive from Las Vegas to Seattle where we've done the bulk of our shooting?
4: Oh,
8: man.
7: Right. Yeah.
8: yeah. <laughs> I, I've kind of, like,
7: blocked it out a little bit. Uh-huh. And
8: uh, that's kind of how we were driving, just zoned out. Like, the proverbial drool was, like, pouring down our mouths. It was just mind-numbing.
7: Yeah, it was uh, a full-on severe science experiment. Eyes peeled back to keep them open. And So, so
8: Rob, more importantly... Uh, I don't really care how you felt about the whole drive, but how about that last two hours? Yeah, no, I was
7: on I was on jitter alert with my street luge passenger chair that doesn't quite uh, support any neck activity at all. Everybody listening, if you can imagine being in the passenger side of of a van chair. And it being on a forty five degree angle with no support for your neck, and yeah, you're just head, you're hoping head, it's basically the, a coffin coffin slide.
8: Yeah, you pull the headrest forward, and the second any pressure is applied, just slides on back.
7: It just slides on back. Just slides on <laughs> back. Uh, so, like, like a luge. <laughs> for everybody that don't know, uh, of course, Box Art is our docu series that we're all producing that uh, looks at the the uh, industry of video game cover art and the illustrators responsible for. It, mainly because people don't know who these people are, and as well as the the industry as a whole in in the evolution of what cover art is, where it's going, and uh, even the emergence of concept art as maybe a new form of cover art. Uh, We've done three key interviews so far. We have another one tomorrow that takes me to Vancouver, don't you know, buddy? (laughs) And uh, we uh, have a big panel at PAX on the weekend, which is very exciting you guys uh, were part of the first round uh, that we shot at e3 as well and now you've got three more interviews that you've kind of uh, you know seen in, in the flesh what have you guys learned or, or what some of your experiences are we can we can go back to e3 if you like we can just tackle this week. what do you think?
8: Um, for me
7: it's not having expectations there's certain people you know
8: that we interviewed that I expected to say certain things or expect the interview to go in a certain direction and it just
7: absolutely didn't. Um, what do you mean by that?
3: Because now I'm curious. <laughs> well,
7: right I, now, you're taking I, this in a different direction I, I, that I don't expect.
8: <laughs> um, I don't really want to. I, I can't give away details, but you we'll know. give away a detail. Give us some context. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or are you just making this up on the spot? Okay. Um, I, I was expecting. Okay, when we uh, when we talk to a uh, trip.
7: Okay, Trip Hawkins, uh, founder of EA.
8: Uh, first interview we did, we started off big. Um, Doesn't get I,
7: much bigger than Trip.
8: I was expecting him to have a little more hands-off, you know, approach to the box art, where it was almost his team doing it, especially because of the way EA is now. Sure. Um, and what they've become. Uh, which isn't a bad thing, it's just I didn't expect him to really have all the little little intricacies of where the, the box art came from. And some of the things he said, like, uh, just drawing conclusions that where was always speculation, you know, like... The the original box design for his stuff did come from for PC. You know the gatefold came from album design, right? So the
7: game is taking inspiration from another medium.
8: Yeah, and to me that was a bombshell because everybody always kind of assumed it. But him saying no, we approached you know the same companies that were doing the packaging for records at the time and said, hey, how can we do this? And they came back and said, oh yeah, we can do the same thing only cheaper. And then it it, it evolved into the what we knew as PC packaging back in the day. Sure,
7: Nicole, what are, out of all the interviews that you remember, what is like one of the moments that stands out to you that was either like a complete game changer, pun intended, or just something like that's really cool that we uh, got to hear that?
4: It was probably today with Brom.
7: So we filmed with uh, Gerald Brom. Brom, of course, is what he goes by for his professional name. Huge artist. <laughs> Gerald. No, definitely <laughs> Brom. Definitely. Huge, huge <laughs> artist, uh, responsible for stuff like Doom 2, Diablo 2, Heretic. Uh, the list goes on and on TSR of course for you know almost half a decade Magic the Gathering what what moment stands out from that interview
4: Uh just the fact that like he took on the Doom 2 cover art because he was a fan that was just like awesome
8: Yeah yeah he thought so I was... didn't want to take on a project and when they said yeah. when they said oh it's Doom 2 he was like uh ah.
4: okay <laughs> like that was that was great that was awesome
8: You can see even today you could see how tired he was thinking about it <laughs> Like, just already having that workload and him just thinking back going, oh, I really didn't want to do it, but you can't pass up doom.
7: Yeah, so (laughs) to to give some context for everybody, this was when he went freelance after a nice comfy gig with TSR for a few years. And then uh, as a freelancer, it's hard to say no to anything but just seven days a week. You know, you have a wife, so you're trying to make time for family and the things to keep you sane. And then this opportunity comes along, and he still could not say no to that. So. Uh, Very cool. I think for me, uh, one of my key moments was talking with Tim Gervin, which heads up a design agency in Seattle, and just hearing him illustrate the way in which he was working with Nintendo to provide them a cohesive brand identity. And I guess the big thing that you could say that Tim did, for the NES era at least, was he was the one that instituted that red stripe across the box of, uh, of the later run of the NES title. So for any collector out there or any any any, any NES fan, <laughs> uh, you'll know at the top it'll say Nintendo Entertainment System in a red stripe. And that was for a very obvious reason. He noticed that when you went into a game store uh, in that time, you couldn't tell Nintendo stuff from Sega stuff. So he thought, why not put like make sure every game, regardless of publisher and developer, had that on the top? So you look at something like uh, Warrior Woods, and it's right on the top.
8: Well, even in the packaging of the systems in, in later release, yeah. the original
7: ones didn't and then there's cohesion e- across the board.
8: E- even that aesthetic the, that um, the, that blockiness and the, the stripe feel carried well into the Super Nintendo era. I mean, and let's not forget when we're did-
7: talking about a, a major thing for box art, and people will be able to hear this from the horse's mouth in, in the docu series, he was the one that instituted the portrait to landscape shift yeah. from the NES titles, which were in portrait. To landscape, which is what the SNES became
8: again, to differentiate, like he said, you know, you you have to design a fixture around the packaging. Yeah, and he said it's going to set every set us apart from everybody else, and. It really did. I mean, that that horizontal view, and it really pulls you from left to right instead of looking straight up a column. You have to look at everything. Yeah, and, and it's it,
7: different. And I know we've got some uh, artists on board that were caught in the middle of that transition where uh, it wasn't <laughs> communicated to them that things had changed from portrait to landscape. And uh, when we interview them, I'm sure they'll discuss, you know, how they handled the the switch, whether they repainted or just you know well, uh, cropped and so to speak.
8: Again, without giving away too much, you, I feel you, like
7: you're giving away too much. I'm just kidding go ahead <laughs>
8: ah, no um, you, you even see the the way um, some of the original paintings were cropped yeah and the way some of that artwork was really had to be cut down to fit because you could tell either the artists didn't know which way they were going to go with it and some of the artists said that yeah but also it's it's you don't know how they're gonna use it right you know it could have been before that shift was made and now oh the packaging's different but we're not going to throw away the art this whole thing's designed around that art so it has to go and it's just it's recropped and re. Positioned. Even um, the the placement of the logos changed everything, and what it covers up, what it doesn't, and kind of that askew where there's more background in the picture than in the right. the, uh, the art than not. But yeah.
7: And tomorrow uh, I head to Canada as I mentioned. We're we're filming actually with another one of our producers uh, who happens to have a pretty unique collection of original canvases, and I have no idea what I'm going to see when I meet with Dan tomorrow. I don't know what he's pulled from his collection. I don't know how many pieces. I'm curious to know how we got into that. This does not sound like a, a cheap hobby to get into. It. It seems like a very niche collectible the, arena.
8: This I will not spoil, but just the few that we've seen. Yeah. Uh, you know, via you know, text and you know, messaging messages back and, and forth like and email is quite impressive.
7: <laughs> it's it's very cool to see these box covers that we know and love, but in a larger than life way. And we talked with Brom today. About the difference between seeing something digitally on a screen and seeing it in person. And you guys are staying behind because you've got some stuff to take care of for the production. But I'm going ahead forward to Canada, so I get to see some of those acrylics and oils in person. Nicole, what what do you think it's going to be like as I walk in there and, and see that stuff? What, what are you predicting for this footage? Because I know when I get back, you guys are going to be like, so show me the stuff.
4: I think it's going to be like almost emotional. Because, I mean, it's like memories, but like you're seeing the what created those memories
7: yeah yeah
4: yeah like but uh, oh, it's so it, jealous
8: it, it, it's you know the the image is already so powerful i think and you know for a lot of your favorite games and whether it's good or bad art it's still it's emotional it's art too. its still... yeah i mean yeah. the game can be amazing and the art can be terrible we all know uh, mega man
7: but <laughs> i love the mega man art We're, i will go on record saying it, sure, it is not reflective, it doesn't have a painterly renaissance quality to it, but that Mega Man 1 art, and Mega Man 2 for that matter, I think are gorgeous for all the defective reasons that people it's, want to lobby. It's
8: quality art, It just it's, it's horrible in
7: relationship to the game itself. I think it's beautiful. I would hang that anywhere, <laughs> but I think you wouldn't see, hang you wouldn't hang that canvas up if you had it. I'm not saying I wouldn't. Have yeah, it. that's exactly. <laughs> yeah. But,
8: but what I what I was getting at is there's a difference between looking at you know the the image on the box and seeing the original painting. Sure. That I mean, not that that's one that we'd see, but that it's just an example of you know you see the emotion in the brushstrokes and in, in the the texture on the canvas. There's just something more tangible to it because it really is tangible. I mean. The, There's something special to that.
7: So, Nicole, as we wrap up here, what do you think people can expect when uh, the series comes out, the six episodes that'll make up season one? How would you describe based on the interviews that we have and knowing what's coming uh, in the in the car? You started to really kind of eloquently put what you've noticed come out of some of this. Do you remember what you were saying?
4: Uh, I think, well, yeah. no. <laughs> no, I don't remember. Uh, no. You were
7: talking about the flow, but well, now yeah, that you've I seen think it's a few really people. Interesting.
4: It's really interesting to see, like, as a fan from, like, start to finish, like, how this stuff, like, became, how it became, like, how it, like, started and how, you know, different artists who had different roles really... Formed the structure for box art. I mean, it's so interesting and, and, and that,
8: that collaboration with the behind-the-scenes people and that, that yeah, evolution. Yeah,
4: I mean, it's interesting that there were so many people involved in one part of the, the game as a whole. It's it's incredible.
7: Doug, what would you say or, or foreshadow or tease out there that people can expect in this series based on the uh, the handful of the handful of material that we've been able to capture so far?
8: The biggest wow moments for me and I think will be for the viewers as well when the series is done, is the, all the speculation put to rest. There's so many things that were either completely unknown because no one had ever asked the question to the right person, and there's so many things that everybody had just assumed that I'll tell you a lot of those things were right, and there's a few of them that were dead-ass wrong. Just sure. completely wrong. And to me, some of those were, it's subtle things, but it changes the whole way you view the process. For better or for worse, which I yeah, just I think that the technical and the the actual procedure
7: behind everything threw me off a little bit. No predictions or or teases from me uh, as the writer director of the series. I think it's going to be nice for people to actually get to know some of the people that we sit down and interview, so it just won't be a series of sound bites you'll get to spend uh, half an episode or sometimes maybe a whole episode with some of these participants as they uh, share their story and uh, the behind-the-scenes look behind the canvas, if you will, as we, as we rip through the different eras of uh, video game box art and cover illustrators. Yeah, get ready to go to Canada and rip up there tomorrow. Uh, got to get the persona started. Yeah, got to get her going and get some Timmies in me. So, uh, so for myself, Rob McCallum, and uh, Douglas... Douglas Hoibu And Nicole?
4: Nicole?
7: You guys are just supposed to say goodbye and
4: cheers. (laughs) Cheers.
7: Cheers, even though I'm not going to Canada. That's okay. And from myself, we'll catch you guys next time. Back to you, Gerald.
0: Well, we're back and we're talking video games in this segment. And along with with Josh Peterson, I'm Gerald Glassford. Once again, want to thank you for joining us. If you like what you hear, follow us on Facebook and also as well on Twitter. Josh, you got a chance to play Deus Ex Human Revolution. What are your thoughts on this well accepted game?
1: I think that it is fantastic. Just from what I've played so far, I'm I'm you know, I'm probably only a few hours into it. But it's it took what was awesome about the, orig- the the last Deus Ex they made and they've just put it on a massive scale that they, they kind of took like a Deus Ex and mixed it into something like Call of Duty and because of that it's it's awesome because they're literally there's so many, the game can be played so many different ways. You can do stealth, you can do, you know, just go right in there or you can be tactical. So there's there's a lot of options there and the, the story itself, it's not just the way the game is played but the story itself is you know, it's it's more of a, like a commentary on modern society, and it's something that I think is was very well thought out.
0: We also got a chance to look at the Battlefield One beta recently, and I'm telling you, it was very interesting. That you know, the dynamic of playing in the World War One scenario, which is quite different from many of the FPSs that have been played before. It's a a different way of doing things for, for dice and also the battlefield series. It's a, it's a good concept. I enjoyed my time in it. Um, your thoughts on battlefield one. And do you think it can finally match as far as not say on a quality basis, but match as far as in fan interest with, you know what I'm talking about the call of duty series.
1: I'm not a huge fan of call of duty. Uh, it just kind of got old with me, but Battlefield, uh, and this it was the same thing with Battlefield. Like, there, the games are all kind of the same, but then they, they, they kind of introduced something new by introducing an old concept, and that's what's so intriguing to me. It, it's just, it's too bad that the beta, the opening hours of the beta, had such trouble for players. But it's, I think that they found, they found something. It looks good. It plays well. Plays smooth. I don't know how much of it you've gotten to play, but it's, it's a pretty fantastic experience as far as uh you know that type of game goes
0: i uh want to echo those comments on how smooth it runs especially if you're on foot um if you're in vehicles one has to remember since you're in world war one vehicles the fixed vision i know a lot of people are going to take issue as far as it's concerned that they won't be able to have that field of vision that they're normally used to in other first person shooters but that's the ideal of being in a world war one concept so I commend DICE for for their, I don't want to say realism, but their, their closeness to that type of environment that they created. Um, when you're playing on foot, you know, as far as when you're running on foot and as far as the shooting mechanics seem to be top-notch. And I look forward to the game as well uh, when it comes out uh, very soon this fall. I think it's going to do big numbers. Is it going to do as well as Call of Duty? I don't know, people seem to be getting, you know, year after year, everybody seems to be calling for the demise of the Call of Duty franchise. Is this the year? I don't think so yet, but you never know. Uh, This turn, this dynamic turn as far as for Battlefield, I think it was a good strategic move, and it's a way to gain more interest in the product itself going forward. Can't see nothing but good things for Battlefield 1, And I look forward to to playing more of it when it comes out later this fall. But I also want, when we're talking video games, not talk about the big albatross in the room that comes out every August, and that's Madden. Your thoughts, Josh, on Madden this year, and do you think you're, well, do you think the Madden hype, is has, has been lost somewhat and the Madden series may be getting a little bit older in the tooth and and fan interest may not be what it once was in such a storied and great franchise?
1: I think the Madden kind of lost its excitement a long time ago. I feel like at this point, they're just you know doing what most of the sports franchises do, which is just beat a dead horse over and over again, except for FIFA, who has kind of come back from that. But
0: they, they, well, I, and that's what I want to tell you. When I was running game stores, and whatnot, and and I was, you know, chastised by by uh, a manager, fellow manager, saying that that I only had three hundred pre-orders at that time, uh, which was down considerably. Um, and they asked me why. I said, "Well, because we're getting more FIFA pre-orders at that time." This was back, in, you know, in the late two thousand seven, eight range, whatnot, and and. I I told them we are pushing FIFA because that is the way to go. More audiences are becoming more enamored with the soccer soccer concept here in America and that it would be actually being more well-known because it is the world's most popular game. So I thought eventually you would see that turn. So it looks like FIFA has now taken that edge away from Madden. And Madden, while it still has its numbers, they're not as large as they once were.
1: Right. And, and also they're not really bringing anything new to the franchise, new players, obviously, but a lot of people, a lot of people I know who play it still, they, you know, they don't ever buy Madden mad until it goes on sale during black Friday or some other day, but they take their old games. and They just update the rosters. So it's kind of, you know, how much money you want to spend on it? What, what's, what's exciting about it to you? What, you know, what bring, what's bringing people to the, to the franchise. And it's not really not a lot to offer there.
0: I'm just telling you right now that Madden still has some life, but it's not quite the series it once was, unfortunately. Let's let's hope they get it back in gear so following years there can be some excitement about the Madden franchise and, and see it at the levels it once was uh, for audiences because it can only benefit from that, not only from a player's perspective, but from Electronic Arts perspective as well. Hey everyone. If you are looking for the latest news in movies, TV, video games, sci-fi, comic books, pro wrestling, technology, esports, and more, look no further than Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook and Twitter. Each week we provide hundreds of stories across the internet, bringing you closer to the latest news and information in the pop culture world. Stop by, and while you're there, like us and follow us today. At Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook and Pop Culture Cosmo on Twitter. Once again, we truly appreciate you listening and taking time out of your day to check us out uh, Game Source, Mario Party Wars, uh, Rob McCallum Films, Retro City Games. Check it all out because you will be glad you did. So for me, Gerald Glassford, I'm also want to say goodbye to my friend, Mr. Josh Peterson.
1: It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: And thank you for listening. We truly appreciate it. It's another beautiful evening in paradise and you have yourself a great day.